You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, and today our guest is Alana Frankel. She's a former editor for Martha Stewart Living, and now she's inspired to step into the cannabis industry and build her own house of brands. She started a magazine called Women in Weed, which sold in Whole Foods, CVS, and Barnes & Noble before turning it into a book that is still sold today. Alana's introduction to the cannabis industry started when she discovered the healing power of hemp cannabinoids after a traumatic brain injury. Her self-prescribed concoction of cannabinoids brought the swelling down on her brain when doctors said it would take one to three years to treat successfully. It's a true and amazing story that shows the potential for cannabis plant medicine. Alana's recovery encouraged her to sell CBD products, and that is when she launched the e-commerce site Indigo and Haze. The latest addition to her empire is a grow kit plus garden club, Ala Martha. Let's meet Alana. Thank you, Alana, for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. So I know that you've done a lot of things in the cannabis space. Where did it hatch and where did the first idea come? Yeah, of course. Um, My entrepreneurial spirit is a combination of high energy and boredom. (laughs) So, um, but we'll start at the beginning. Um, You know, for years I've uh, been in a, you know, a recreational user and I didn't think anything of it except for the fact that I'm not a big drinker, don't really like alcohol, and weed was my choice. But as I sort of got older and started to really think about it, I realized that a lot of my use of cannabis was focused on relaxation, anxiety, stress. But it really was just that. And I had a very great public life that did not revolve around cannabis, but that was in publishing and content creation, producing not only photo shoots, but video and film. And it was great. I loved my life. It was really fun. I always had, as I said, this recreational use, but I also had family growers. So I was not, uh, you know, completely out of the loop, but it was just sort of underground. And one day I was living my beautiful life and I was in Miami with a group of girlfriends. We were sitting at a dinner table. We had ordered appetizers. I stood up because I wasn't feeling well. I said, excuse me, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. And when I opened my eyes, I was in the hospital having a CAT scan. Yeah, this was a, this was a wake up moment. Literally, you know, the universe had knocked me over the head. No one really knows what happened. Um, At first they thought I had epilepsy. There's epilepsy in my family. So I was on a lot of anti, um, but after a week in the hospital, I was down in Miami. I went back up to New York and I started to see a lot of neurologists, neuroscientists. And at this point, the uh, traumatic brain injury, which I had suffered from, was manifesting itself as if I was a stroke victim. So I couldn't speak. I couldn't balance. So I could barely walk. I was in a lot of pain. I had intense inflammation of the brain. Um, any kind of noises, lights, sound, anything would just shut my body down. And I was, it was crazy. It was crazy. And neurologists and neuroscientists all pretty much said the same thing. 
The brain is a mysterious thing. Right now, all you can do is bed and brain rest until the swelling goes down and then we can assess the damage. And I remember my husband saying like, how long will, could that take? And the answer was a year, maybe three. And so the idea of me laying in bed for a year in a dark space with no stimulus was frightening for everybody. I mean, I am a wife, a mother, I have a career, uh, I have siblings, I have a family life. And so it was very apparent to both my husband and I that we were gonna have to find an alternative. I'm extremely lucky that my husband is a um, master researcher, and he came a couple days later to me uh, in this dark bed, in a dark bedroom, laying in bed, and said, listen, I think I found an alternative. And I've always been open to alternative medicines, alternative therapies, but when he came to me and said, listen, I've been reading some research online about um, Israeli soldiers, and scientists have been working with them and their head injuries from IEDs uh, with cannabis, and specifically CBD. And I remember thinking, you know, hands back, arms up, like, I'm not getting high, I'm not doing THC. And he said, no, it's not THC, it's CBD. And I also remember thinking at that point, like, I don't know what you're talking about, CB what? So yeah. this was seven, eight years ago, East Coast, state of New York, Prohibition State, had no idea what he was saying to me. But I said, you know what, I'm open to it. Um, but that's where the early studies came out, you know, cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system is out of Israel. Yeah. Right? And, and, and I trusted the science and I trusted him. Uh, I knew the plant. I trusted the plant. And so I said, okay, let's do it. I was desperate. I was going to try anything. Um, again, it's great to sort of say yes, but then you're in a prohibition state in New York and nobody knows what CBD is. So the crickets started chirping because what are you going to get? Where are you going to get it? So as I mentioned, we had a, um, a connection through family and growers. We put the word out and we got a whole bunch of product in. We got everything from teas, topicals, and tinctures to flour and, and vape and oil. And it was great. And I was excited to start this journey and try to heal myself, find relief, but nothing was labeled. So this package has arrived with just product no dosage information. I didn't know it was hemp derived. I didn't know if it was marijuana derived. I didn't know it was one-to-one, 20-to-one, six-to-one. I had no idea. Right. And back then it's, I mean, look, we're not even where we need to be now to know how to treat people with cannabinoids. So it must've been, yeah, wild west back then. It was crazy. And it was, it was challenging, but I did something that I now tell everyone to do and everybody, you know, tells everybody to do it. You know, you start low and slow. You, uh, you, 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 start a little bit of, you try something, wait 45 minutes, see how you feel. If it feels okay, try a little bit more, titrate it up to your optimal dose um, and just see what happens. And I did, I felt, you know, I was safe. I was at home, I had people around me. And so I started to experiment. I started to, you know, through trial and error, find ways to relieve myself. And eventually I created myself a protocol and I started to feel better. I started to feel relief and I could start to feel the swelling in my brain recede. That's amazing. Miracle. It was fabulous. It was wonderful, but it was also plant medicine. I mean, this is what happened. It was, it was a protocol of plant therapeutics and it worked for me. Um, at the time, I didn't question the science. I just wanted to work. I just wanted to get to a place where I could actually speak, have a conversation, get up and walk around. And so once that started to happen and I slowly started to go back to work one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, I was like, there's something here. There's something going on here that's bigger than just me 
um, you know, healing myself, heal myself. I wonder if you've had a high dose of cannabinoids because it seems like it does take high, high doses, not what we're getting today in just regular products to treat something like that. Uh, do you know? I think, it was, I think it was a combination of um, higher CBD ratio to THC for sure. I also think it was um, a combination of, um, you know, plant therapy, nutrition, rest, um, meditation, you know, it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't just cannabis healed me. I'm, I'm, I'm great. Mm -hmm. I'm cured. It was not like that at all. And it wasn't even a cure. Uh, as we all know, TBIs are a long-term um, issue and I still suffer from things today mm -hmm. a lot less than I, than I did. But um, so I think it was a combination of lots of different things that helped. And yes, I do think it was a higher level of CBD in some of these um, intake methods for sure. I also think that some intake methods are better than others for me. So um, in the beginning, I was very focused on tea. I'm a tea drinker. Um, so visually and the process of making tea was very therapeutic for me. The warmth, I, I, I could feel it. it and, and that sort of worked for me in the beginning. And then as I felt more comfortable and started to understand what I needed when I needed it, I went up to tinctures, um, topicals. Um, I did inhale for a while, but that um, immediate onset, especially in the beginning of my TBI, didn't really work for me. It was too much, too quick. Mm, and going to the brain. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and so once I started getting back to work, once I started feeling better one day a week, two days a week, the job I was at, the company I was working for was bought by a larger company. Uh, the team wanted me to go over to the new company with them. I had a, you know, a, a giant team that I, I was responsible for. I bowed out. I said, thank you so much. I'll help the team transition. But after a couple of weeks, I'm going to step back and do something else. Great. And I remember coming home and saying to my husband, listen, there's, as I said, there's something more to this than just me healing myself or finding relief with, with cannabis. I want to start the cannabis business. Mm -hmm. And my husband, God bless him, was like, okay. It was like therapy. He's like, I hear you. But <laughs> No, it's illegal, right? Totally, <laughs> honey, I hear you. <laughs> but there's something there. I think we can find a way to do this. And so we went back and forth. And I started really through um, education. I started educating myself. I started finding people who I trusted, who I knew, scientists, doctors, researchers. I started doing little Tupperware parties with women all across the country. I would go to someone's home the woman usually in her 40s would invite 10 of her friends. Inevitably, her mother who's in her 70s or 80s would also attend. Maybe her daughter who's in her 20s would attend. So I got to sort of sit at a table and talk to women, not only about uh, their cannabis use and THC, but also what they thought about the plant in general. And it was great information. I wasn't selling anything. I wasn't doing anything except listening, hearing, collecting data. And I found that there was a lot of great information out there. There was a lot of bad information out there. There was a lot of learning to do. There was a lot of unlearning to do. Um, there was a lot of incredibly racist, uh, misogynist, homophobic, um, you know, history going on here. And so uh, it was really apparent to me that there was a lot of um, content out there. And so once I started doing these little Tupperware parties a little bit more and more, women would inevitably say to me, oh, well, this CBD you're talking about, you know, non-intoxicating, like, do you have any? Can we try it? So I started to bring some samples. And then inevitably they would try and be like, oh my God, this is great. Can we buy some? And I would inevitably sell it. And then they would call me up and say, okay, I ran out. Can I get some more? 
And so I threw up a website, which probably got taken down. <laughs> so I threw up another website, which probably got taken down. Um, and eventually I started sort of this, you know, little e-commerce business, but I wanted to really uh, start to scale the information. You know, it's great to have me running around doing all of this, but it didn't feel enough. And so I went to a publisher that I knew thinking this is the craziest idea I've ever had, but I'm going to pitch it anyway. I sat down at this big conference room in Midtown and was like, I want to start a magazine. I want to call it Women and Weave. Like, that's insane. That's an insane thing to think about. And that's an insane thing to pitch to somebody X amount of years ago. I mean, it was crazy. But to his credit, he's like, you know what? That's a great idea. I like your pitch. Let's do an issue. And I remember thinking like, did he just say yes? I wasn't prepared for that. I was like, you know, you go with prepared for a no. What year was that? Were oh we... my God, that was like 2016, I think. Oh, okay. So the farm bill just passed. Exactly. So okay. the farm bill had just passed and the, and the conversations were, were starting to happen. And, you know, Time Magazine or Newsweek, one of them had this, you know, marijuana goes mainstream on their cover. So I think people were a little bit more comfortable, not that just much. Just barely. Much barely. So to his credit, he said, yes, I put together this crazy issue, which focused on the science it focused on, you know, the science and the research, which is really important to me. It focused on educating um, people about the plant. And it was focused on storytelling from women in the industry who are already working in the industry, telling their story, who they are, what they're doing, why they're doing it. Because for me, storytelling has always been the best way for people and women to connect. Mm -hmm. And it was really important for me to focus on the history of the plant, particularly uh, because, as I mentioned before, the incredible racist history that we've gone through, as well as the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing now when a lot of people are sitting in jail because of what I'm doing right now. And so it was very important for me for that history to come out and that information and that truth of history to be uh, voiced, particularly by uh, people, women who were affected most by it. So not only were the, were the uh, articles about all of this, but the people who wrote it um, and were, were given the opportunity to voice their, their thoughts um, were there as well as get paid. I mean, that's the important part. Like this wasn't a charity case. This was people getting paid uh, to do a great job. We put out the issue. It was on newsstands all over the country. I couldn't believe who took it. Barnes and Noble, CVS, Walgreens. I mean, it was nuts. How, and, did that, how did you, how does that happen? So you, the publisher distributed. You partner, you partner with a great, great person who has good, 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 good real estate in those places and who has a history of, of, uh, of being able to sell through. And we did, we sold a crazy amount of copies. We sold through and it was, it was wonderful. Um, I did three more issues um, and then Simon Schuster came and said, hey, we want to turn this into a book. So we put together uh, a couple of issues and, and some new content and we created a book, Women in Need. So did it hit the stands um, in, in the grocery stores in Barnes and Noble, the, the magazine, 2017? Or did it hit the um, stands? It was like, I think it was like 2018, like 2017, maybe two, end of 2017, beginning of 2018. Still very early. Very, very early. Well, and then the book that? came out, the book came out in March of 2020. The book tour was supposed to start on the day the whole country went on lockdown. <laughs> but maybe that, I mean, maybe that turned out good because the cannabis industry had such a good 
could uh, boost uh, because of the pandemic and people. You know what? I listen. For me, everything happens for a reason, and there's a silver lining. The book has done just fine. It's doing great. It conti continues to sell to this day. So I'm not worried. It was just a funny moment where you plan, 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 and then all of a sudden the universe is like, no, we're gonna we're, we're gonna do this instead. Yeah, the stories uh, you hear. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, so who, yeah. are some, who are some of the early women that in the book that that were moving around, moving and shaking in the industry? Um, there were some great and continue to be some great women. They still are working very hard today. Uh, Dr. Janella Chin was one of the first um, doctors and researchers that I spoke with who was incredibly generous with her research and information. Uh, Dr. Julie Holland, who works a lot with veterans, PTSD, oh. another incredible human being. A lot of great research coming out of Washington State University at that time that was really early research about how uh, cannabis cannabinoids affect women differently than men, which was really important for me to have in those pages. Um, we had some great entrepreneurs in that um, those first couple of issues, women who've been working really hard to not only formulate, but brand and sell. Um, we had some great uh, farmers, growers, cultivators, on the East Coast, West Coast, both cannabis and um, and hemp, uh, and there was just a lot. There's we had women who were um, humble bloom, who were really um, focused on field trips, getting women on the bus to the farm, on the land, meeting the growers, talking, seeing, touching a plant, the dirt. Um, Canaclusive. We focused on uh, women who were who were really pushing. Um, um, equity, social equity, Dr. Rachel Knox, and health equity, which is really important. So there were, there's, there are and continue to be all those women are still working very hard in the industry today. And they were really great and, and very generous with their time and their information. And we did some great articles. We also had some um, articles about skincare. We also had some articles about uh, entrepreneurs, women who were doing clothing line. Uh, you know, so it just, it depends, it depended on the day, it depended on, on, you know, who, what, where, when, uh, but we got a great mix of, of people who are doing really incredible things. That sounds like great stories for someone who's just getting introduced to the industry or, you know, who doesn't, who's a yeah, newcomer to the industry or, uh, you know, kind of coming back to it. Um, yeah, no, it, you're you're so right, and particularly in that first issue, you know, we had, the first issue was like the first couple of pages was just a glossary of terms. Was just here are the words you need to know if you're gonna be in this industry, or if you want to be in this industry, or if you're gonna walk into a dispensary and you want to know, oh my God, what am I looking at? So it went from very simple um, ideas like the glossary and the timeline of like history, like a little history lesson you know, to the more complicated, you know, formulation and understanding how um, the product gets from seed to shelf. So, and, so it was great. It is. And, it yeah. And, and just even the stories of the women who are in it from the female farmers, which I amazingly, there's more female farmers out there than I realize. I've met a couple of them. And, you know, just the stories of what everyone's doing just introduces you to what people are doing in the industry and how much it's affecting our lives in all different ways, you know, from farmers to processors to women, just, you know. Yeah, whatever. and I think that's that's what's sort of also interesting about cannabis is that it is an it is a community and now becoming an industry that touches everything, healthcare, real estate, law, politics, equity, justice, criminal reform. I mean, it touches 
every, the IRS, taxes, it touches every single part of our lives. And so when you start to look at women all across the country who are in those different areas doing different things, whether they were underground for so long, above ground now, um, you start to read these stories and feel like, oh, wait, she used to work in like a car manufacturing plant and now she's taken those skills and transplanted them to cannabis. Like, oh, I get it. I think the industry was so underground and so illegal for, uh, for so long and people just weren't, it wasn't open to, to, to transparency or to see who was doing what or how you do it. And now that it is, it's like, oh, it's not that scary. I can do that. Right. It's not that scary. Right. I think it just, it, it, it destigmatizes it. Yeah. It just makes and, it. And takes the fear away. I think that was the other thing too. You know, for so long, the war on drugs and the PR was about fear. And once you realize that it's a plant. <laughs> I'm going to get my hand on that book. I, it sounds great. I, I've done oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm going to, I really, that sounds really um, good. So as soon as that sort of happened, um, you know, and being the serial entrepreneur that I am, and as I said, having a lot of energy and I'm like, okay, what's next? I stepped back and I started producing film and video um, and doing small sort of scale work uh, in that front. I continue to do it to this day. Mm. And I started working with other companies consulting um, and making sure that not only are all the things I spoke about, you know, just now, um, you know, in, in, in the ethos and for different companies, um, but that I was sort of trying to see what other companies were doing, um, you know, making sure that, you know, the industry, just looking to see what the industry was doing and how it was doing. And I was really curious, um, you know, to, to sort of, peek inside and help other companies support and work with other companies and other people and just expand my network and expand the people that I'm working with. So you mean you you were producing um, documentary type of or film and video for companies? To, to yeah, for whoever, yeah, for whoever would want to do it. I did cannabis and I did non-cannabis. Um, so uh, corporate videos, educational corporate videos to, to educate yeah. people or? It was educational videos in the cannabis front, but um, like, for instance, I worked as a producer for uh, the documentary filmmaker, Barbara Koppel, oh. on one of her, um, one of her product uh, projects, excuse me. Um, and so I wanted to sort of get the experience, not only of being on a set and, and, and producing and, and doing the research and all of that. Um, because I, you know, had a bunch of treatments out at the time and continue to, have to, to send out treatments for different documentary films. Um, I wanted to also just talk to people to see what the appetite for uh, film content was mm -hmm. about cannabis. And not necessarily like, you know, there's a thousand videos how to roll the perfect joint. I'm not interested in that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not interested in, you know, a doctor you know, doing a YouTube video. It's great. It's informational. It's educational. It needs to be there for sure. But I'm talking about storytelling. I'm talking about, um, you know, the incredible stories of people who are going from uh, illegal to legacy and, and, and legal work. And, you know, people who are, who have um, really been at the forefront of the plant for a long time. And then, boom, New York legalized and home grow was in the bill. And that's when I got really happy. Because you, yeah, to get into the home grow. So dialing all the way back to the beginning of our conversation about always being around home growers and family members and cultivators and farmers out in Oregon on the West Coast, uh, but more on a large scale 
uh, commercial oh, side. Your family is producing out in Oregon because I saw that you were on some sort of uh, board of the Oregon, yeah, the Oregon Cannabis Commission. I sit on the um, uh, subcommittee for health equity. Okay, so that's the connection. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so sitting on so 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 being around all of that, um, I thought, okay, homegrown New York, I love it. This is an opportunity now to get people to really connect with the plant because what I've seen over the years is as soon as people uh, visit a farm, get their hands dirty, see the plant, talk to other people, um, the connection to that plant is really strong and really different than just walking into a dispensary or a gas station buying CBD or whatever you're doing. Um, as well as the fact that I'm a firm believer in the plant's legalization, meaning that people have choice. So a consumer has a choice. They can go to a dispensary and buy, absolutely. They can go to a retail establishment and buy, absolutely. They can go to a pharmacy and buy, but they also should be able to have the choice of homegrown, just like you would vegetable garden. You go to a supermarket, absolutely, but you could also grow at home. Home brewing, the same thing. You can homebrew your own beer. You can go to a bar and yeah. meet some friends and have a beer. It's options, it's, it's choices, and I believe the consumer needs that, as well as the fact that I knew specifically as I continued to work with my head injury, there are very specific strains that I can tolerate and that I need for my relief. And they're not always available commercially. And so it was really important for me to grow my own. So I know you started with hemp CBD to cure yourself. Are you now looking at marijuana in the THC? So I have always, you know, when I started doing it myself, it was with hemp, uh, CBD um, derived from hemp, only because at that point, my head was so bad, I couldn't tolerate any THC. And so I found that very certain strains, particularly, um, you know, the terpenes, as well as a little bit of THC, as well as some of the other cannabinoids, CB, um, CBG and CBC, actually were helping. And so I kind of moved, I continue, I continue with my CBD protocol for sure. It's changed a little bit, but I also started to introduce very, very, very low THC. Um, Are you working with any um, like formulation companies to specifically treat your head injury or you're just kind of self-medicating? I, I, I'm sure you would be a great case for them. Yeah, you know, I've had so many conversations with people and I've yet to find someone. I mean, I, I don't really connect with any traditional doctor on this because this is not in the real house right now. Right. Um, I, I mean, companies who, you know, the, the, the handful or more of companies out there really focusing on um, cannabinoid formulation. Oh, no, I haven't. Only because I've been trying to figure out what that looks like to start with. And so, so we grew a very specific strain for me that turned out to be wonderful. And we got seeds. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. What's so the we have strain? It's tons same. and tons of seeds. So it's a hybrid, um, hybrid um, between two uh, uh, seeds that that we got, and the result is a great, very simple one to one, um, and it's very, um, it's very low in all of the uh, in, in the THC. It has some CBC in it, um, and it's a very easy, it's a very easy high. You are highly functional. You don't feel any loopiness you don't feel any you know I'm a parent I work I have a life like I'm not 
like, I don't want to be couch locked. I don't want to be like flying around town. Um, you know, I joke sometimes it's like the soccer mom strain. It's a very easy um, a strain to, to live with on a daily basis and use um, as needed. I don't use it a lot, but when I do need it, it's there for me. Um, and we've been very lucky in that um, we have the, the land to, to experiment and we've tried it and it's great. Wow, that's so great. I, I know your latest uh, venture is focused on the homegrown, but I just wanted to ask you one question before coming back to that and wrapping that up is, you know, CBD is still needs to mature just because of everything that we were talking about between the, you know, educating the public and clinical trials, you know, we're really just in the infancy of clinical trials and there's just so much to know. And the other thing I find with trying to market CBD versus THC products is that people don't feel the immediate effect and that's not what it's about. It's, it's you know, almost like nutraceutical or eventually it'll be pharmaceutical formulations to treat specific things like, you know, the head injury. With Indigo and Haze, the e-commerce site that you have, how, how do you find the world of hemp and CBD? It's a very saturated market. What's going on in the CBD space as far as how you see yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It's a challenge. It's a big challenge. There's a lot of people out there that are slapping a label on um, something and putting it out there. As much education as I put out there and as much as I partner with great people, medicalcannabismentor.com, uh, all of these great organizations, there's still people going into the local gas station, picking up you know, CBD, taking and be like, I didn't feel anything or I threw up, or this tastes gross, or why am I even taking this? Like, you know, it, it just, it, it's a little bit crazy right now. Right. It's premature, I guess. Um, you know, it, I'm not sure if it's premature, but I think what, what I do find fascinating about the CBD um, community and industry is that it's one of the only times I've seen capitalism outpace government or the people. Like, it, it, it's really unbelievable to me that, that, that the money came first, like it's, and then everybody's trying to catch up. The people are trying to catch up and educate themselves. The government's trying to catch up and figure out, oh my God, what do I do with this? Um, and in the meantime, people are just pumping out product and, you know, you can buy it for, you know, $15, you can buy it for $400. You can put a serum on your face. You can put a tincture on your tongue. You can rub this, you can smoke that. And it's really important that people understand that the most, the, the thing you need to know about CBD first and foremost, is your intention. What is your intention for CBD? Why are you looking for CBD in your life? First is intention. Then not only, you know, then the, once you hear the why, then it's the how. How do I, how do I feel comfortable taking it? Not everybody feels comfortable inhaling it, it, it in this, you know, especially in the respiratory, uh, you know, compromised era that we're living in. Not a lot of people like the taste under their tongue. A lot of people don't want to take a pill. A lot of people feel like a topical doesn't work. So there are all of these different things. Um, and dosing. Dosing. And dosing. We, yeah. We're, not, dosing is we're not there yet because it's, yeah, yeah. And, it's and huge it's, issue. Yeah, I hear it all the time. And everyone's like, oh my God, I took this gummy. And I was like, high as a kite. I'm like, okay, well, what you should have done is cut it into quarters. And also I find it hard. That's very rare. I think that someone would get high on CBD. You know, that. I, but I don't know. Well, you know, I have a high tolerance. Yeah, I so. think that there's, an, well, it, when I say hi, I think there's a there's a difference between um, 
psychoactive and intoxication. And I think CBD can definitely get you intoxicated. There's definitely a shift in your brain when you have too much CBD for sure. It's nothing like a THC high, um, but there's definitely something there to it. And I think the subtlety between intoxication and psychoactivity is really important for people to understand. And that's why I wanted to first put out the magazine and get the information and the education out there because I always found that once people were educated and they took the time to do the research and take the time to slowly introduce CBD into their life, they were more likely to find success and more likely to purchase the right product. So then as far as the homegrown goes, back to that, I know that you've told me previously that you want to, that that's your main focus and that you want to get into homegrown kits. What is your business model for that? How far are you into that now? Is that your next focus? And then also the second part of that is, I know you worked for Martha Stewart in the past. And is that your education with Martha Stewart as far as the approach to your business model, um, having all these different like omni-channel approaches to this little empire that you're building. And I know that you said that you wanted to take your homegrown kit and do the Martha Stewart treatment, I believe that you said. My, my three years as an editor at Martha Stewart Living Magazine was an incredible education in, um, in design, in aesthetics, in, um, in business. And it was definitely continues to be an influence, not only Martha herself and her genius, but also the people that she surrounds herself with. They're incredible artisans that work with her. They're incredible designers, incredible merchandisers, uh, men and women who have incredible ability to take the most beautiful objects and make them incredibly practical and useful and beautiful and um, and uh, part of your world. And so for that, I am so grateful for those years. And, and that is definitely continues to be an influence. Um, I think will always be. Right now, when I think about the home grow industry, um, I think about um, people going onto Amazon, buying a grow tent, a light and a ventilation air, you know, um, filtration system and getting it and then thinking, oh my God, now what? Wait, I need seeds, I need soil, there's nutrients, there's watering, there's all of these things. Um, and so part of it, if, especially if you're doing an indoor grow, there is definitely a science to it, an art to it, just like Martha, science and art to everything. Um, and there's a beauty to it. You are growing uh, a plant, gardening. But there is something very simple about having a seed, putting it in dirt, making sure it gets enough light and water and nutrients, and just watching it grow. And so I want people to understand that there is an ease to it. It's not that scary, just like everything else in cannabis. It's just a plant. Um, but I also want people to know that there is an art to it um, and that you can grow an incredibly beautiful plant that will then yield enough medicine for you, not only in the flower, but in the leaves as well. So what a lot of people sort of um, discard at the end of the day are the leaves and not only of the female plant, but of the male plant. The female plant is the one that, that flowers and that you, know, you, you want for the for biomass. But the male plant is also the leaves. Um, heat those up, put them in a salad raw, um, incredibly nutritious, incredibly filled with nutrients, proteins. Um, and so it's really important that the whole plant use be talked about. Um, and not only that, 
if you're going to put a big grow tent in your apartment or your house, and you're going to have these big tubes sticking out the window or wherever to ventilate, you better make sure I want them to look good. Uh, yeah. And right now they're just black and they're bulky. And, um, you know, I think there's an opportunity there to make sure that um, it becomes uh, a pretty part of your house. <laughs> That's, that's for an indoor grow. That's for an indoor grow. Now, for an outdoor grow, it's different. You know, um, the, 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 the ease of which is a sun-grown um, strain is a lot easier. But, um, you know, there's also an art and a science to an outdoor grow as well. Um, so there's, there's that um, as well for people to start to think about if they're doing outdoor grow um, and if they're building greenhouses on their property. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of different opportunities. There's lots of different ways to do it. There's, uh, you know, people are doing shipping containers, uh, retrofitting shipping containers in their backyard to do, uh, to do grows. And it's fun and it's, and it's interesting. And there's a lot of possibility there. So where are you in that process? Just in the beginning. So what I, as I, as I did in my other business, um, I started small. I just was going around talking to people, um, you know, giving out plants, giving out seeds, seeing what uh, people needed when, you know, when some, it's great when you say you want to grow and someone just hands you something that, okay, here, go grow it. But what I wanted was the feedback of what they needed to be able to grow. So I would get, you know, I would get friends and family and say, okay, what do you need? They're like, okay, what do I do about, do I need nutrients? Like, I want something all natural, my God, pesticides, you know, um, and so there are all of these different questions and all this different data that I've, I've been accumulating over the past year, and especially partnering um, with other community groups and, and having those conversations. And so I'm definitely in the data collecting point, um, but because of the seeds that we have, we've been selling seeds beautifully. Um, they're great starter seeds for people who are just um, you know, wanting to understand what the process is like. And um, we've created a little mini garden club. So um, people are happily, can be happily, you know, happily join, um, you know, for X amount of dollars, you get seeds and an unlimited ability to conversate with people to talk about what they need and where to get it. What's good for this? What's good for that? I'm doing this. What should I be doing? Is that a, so is that a website or a forum that you've started already? So right that- now it's kind of a little bit on the down low. So they just contact me directly and I will have them in there. Um, but we will definitely be, it's beta testing, so we will definitely be creating a more formalized channel for that, for sure. So you're not selling seeds yet in the open, open, but if somebody wanted to buy seeds or just start talking about the garden club and all the things that you're doing or just provide you with some data, they can just contact you directly. Okay, great. And then would you, would you consider uh, partnering with different um, people who are already uh, putting their grow kits together or is it something you, you will? Do? No, no, I, I, uh, I love partnering with people. I'm a collaborator. Um, and for me, I'd rather partner with somebody who is so focused on that and does it really well. I'm not here to reinvent the wheel. Um, I'm here to, you know, spread the word and, and the gospel. And so if somebody's doing it and doing it well, and I like them, they like me, we, we're aligned um, in our principles, both on capitalism and the plant, then yeah, I'm happy to, to partner and I prefer it actually. Um, you know, there are certain things I like doing on my own, collecting data, listening to people, storytell, but then when it comes to 
um, you know, the business model and the business side of it, partnerships are always welcome. Um, and I that for sure. But maybe I could almost see you partnering with them to give it the Mar Martha Stewart treatment, like you said, a, something that's beautiful in their home, because there is going to be people who that would be important to. It's, you know, there's absolutely a target for that because it's, you know, the cannabis world is opening up to a lot of people and um, there's a big market for it. So, um, well, gosh, I think this is great. And I was so interested to talk to you and learn all this stuff and um, kind of run out and get the book. And <laughs> Thank you so uh, much. I, I'm so glad no. you reached out. You know, I'm always, I'm, I love meeting people in the industry and, and, Me and too. It's, it's, it's great. It's a great community. And as we really go from is. community to industry, um, I'm excited to, to, to create a foundational like, relationship with folks. So it's great. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for your time and this time together. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.